It's time once again for our broadcast, Good News and Better News, where we spend 22 minutes advancing the theory that life really does not suck. And now, here is our host, author, screenwriter, and podcastman, Jonathan Richard Kring. So, so you decide to go on a second honeymoon with the love of your life. But, since he or she was not available, you opt to take your spouse. <laughs> All kidding aside. It turns out being a very expensive trip to a faraway land, which you, you never would have gone on, except for the fact that a, a long-lost uncle left you a little bit of money in his will, which happened to be just just the right amount to fund such an extravagance. It's a bash. It's a crazy idea. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So you board the plane with books and entertainment in hand, ready for that long flight. When several hours later, the plane hits stormy weather, which becomes very severe so treacherous that the plane flies off course, only to find itself in, in the middle of a, yet another storm, which further alters the destination. While the pilot's trying to figure out where he is and what he's doing, the fuel lights come on, informing the cabin that there, there's been some damage done to the tanks and the plane is dangerously low on that stuff that keeps it in the air before adjustments can be made. The engines go out one by one, and the pilot decides to make a landing on an island, but falls just short of the land, burying the nose of the jet into the sea, not far from the beach. Suddenly the plane fills with water, the passengers desperately trying to find an exit. What follows his 20, maybe 25 minutes of horror filled with screams, people drowning. As that original manifest of 100 souls on the aircraft dwindles to 10 people who crawl out of the water and fall exhausted onto the beach. Five men, five women. You are one of them. But your loved one is not among the survivors. Matter of fact, you just look around and understand that you don't know any of the people who lie exhausted by your side. After about 20 minutes of panting, tears, and trying to recover from all the shock, those 10 remaining souls begin to look at one another. You see, the airplane is gone, submerged under the water, attempting to rescue any additional people is fruitless because the tide will not allow anyone to escape the island. You immediately realize there's a language barrier. Four, four of the survivors speak English and English only. Three others speak broken English, and the remaining three have no ability to speak English whatsoever, Spanish for one, Russian, and Farsi. 
there seems to be no connecting language or even a person among the ten who can jointly communicate with anybody else. Therefore, communication will be slow. Now, looking up at the sun, the survivors realize that it's the middle of the afternoon, so it's going to be dark in about five or six hours. The island appears uninhabited by anything except creatures since no one has scurried to the beach to see what has happened. Out in front of you is just endless ocean. Behind you is a tropical jungle filled with the unknown. So what should you do? <laughs> Maybe this is more important. In what order should you do it? Now, I, I don't, I don't want to sound dramatic, though by this time that seems hypocritical. But to a strange, almost bizarre extent, this is the condition of our Earth at this point. The original plan that was hatched seems to have crashed. Our attempts to segregate the human race through religion, gender, culture, nationality, and ideology has left us all precariously disconnected and therefore endangered. Where do we start? What? What? What's the first thing to pursue? Maybe we should have a meeting, a long one. But what would be the result of 10 people who have just come through the worst horror of their lives and are, are blocked by language barriers to, to sit around and try to have a long discussion about the future? What future? No, what we need at this point is common sense. We need to break life down into, into its elements and from those elements find the rudiments, those completely necessary parts required for every human being in order to live, but also to continue to have the will to live. So perched on that beach with nine other human souls, it would be necessary to think about survival. Maybe you'd rather think about rescue. But if rescue doesn't happen immediately, then it is mostly important to try to survive. After all, that Malaysian jet that fell from the sky, was it ever found? There's one thing that has to be taken care of immediately. Human life cannot function or continue to exist without fresh water, especially when people are exhausted, thirsty, and maybe wounded or bleeding. So rather than trying to divide into committees, the ten souls wisely bind together to achieve this first aspiration. Let's go out there, the ten of us together, and search for water. Because bluntly, if they don't have fresh water, if you don't have it, then you're going to die. You won't be able to live. Now, wait a second. Hold on. Why, I mean, why would this be any different for Earth as a whole? Forget the airplane crash for a minute. What if 
Every man, woman, and child in the world woke up tomorrow knowing that they had enough fresh water, just fresh water to last them through the day. Because the truth is, many don't. Do you understand, we even have schools in America where you can't drink out of the water fountains in the hallways because the water's tainted. Flint, Michigan was poisoned by its own water supply. What if we just got the whole world together to agree on that one simple thing? Let us search, find, and deliver fresh water to every citizen of the world. What massive difference would that make for humanity? If people did not have to drink out of mud puddles or poison ponds, psychologically, are you hearing me? Psychologically, would there be a change in the planet? So let's go back to our 10 survivors. After the 10 of them find clean water, which by the way is about 125 yards inland, they, they decide to leave two souls behind to be in charge of gathering the water, finding any means possible for collection. So the other eight souls set out, confident that water would be supplied. So now they're searching for the next thing they need, which is food. Yes, food would be necessary. If survival was going to be achieved, or even sitting around waiting for rescue, strength would be needed to maintain a sense of hope. So likewise, let, let's consider our world. What if, what if every man, woman, and child on earth got up tomorrow morning knowing they had enough food? Even if it was just one meal for the day. Would that make a difference in the demeanor, the attitude, the productivity? And the emotions of the citizens of the earth? Does the full belly make a full mind? Is the full belly necessary for a full soul? Because the eight of them that set out on this island, by the way, to find food soon located coconuts. There was some sort of tropical version of citrus. And even they saw some little animals that they captured decided they would at least try to consume. Once again, two souls were left behind to literally gather coconuts as the other six set out to find the next need, which would be shelter. The jungle was certainly full of creatures, great and small, who might find the intrusion of ten unplanned for guests, annoying. Some shelter was needed. The six almost immediately find palm branches and other types of vegetation that could be cleared out and used to make beds or maybe even construct a canopy to protect the survivors from the sun. Now here's, here's a question I have. Would you mind going back to our world presently? What if every man, woman, and child once again in this world, was suddenly granted simple shelter from the elements. No more homeless who find themselves at the mercy of nature. What would that do to the spirit of humankind? 
So let's see where we are. What if we lived on an earth which instead of manufacturing weapons worked on providing the simple simplicity of fresh water for every inhabitant, a little bit of food every day for every person, and simple shelter? (laughs) What change might this create psychologically for eight billion people? I guess we better. Would you mind going back with me to the island? So two survivors, by the way, stayed behind to work on the shelter issue, gathering up all the palm fronds. And the remaining four set out to find a spot, not, not too far from the shelter, to provide cleanliness, privacy, and sanitation. After all, people are going to need to piss and poop. There needs to be a place for it a place close enough for the survivors to walk safely, do their business, cover it up with some sand, and know that it is at a sufficient distance that nasty odors won't be floating into the enjoyment of coconut stew. Well, here I go again. I apologize for making these parallels, but if the whole world were given the privilege of sanitation, what do you think of that? a place to pee and take a shit that was clean enough that they wouldn't feel like they would get a disease using it and private enough that the experience would not be horrifying. How might that, just that simple luxury, change things? Sanitation. So our survivors leave two people behind to dig a trench and provide for adequate privacy for those who would need to relieve themselves, and the last two souls find a place to start a fire. It will be needed for cooking. How about some warmth? And also, fire can be a deterrent against marauding predators. Energy. Fire. Energy. Is there any way that we could get fire or energy into the shelter of every person in the world? It doesn't sound impossible, does it? Certainly a culture which can come up with the iPhone could devise a plan for clean water, food, shelter, sanitation, and fire or energy to be distributed to the folks of the earth. For now, night is falling. The ten survivors meet up again. Know that there's much to plan, much more to do. And ultimately, probably, a rescue needs to be pursued. But as they sip their water and nibble on a bit of food, sitting comfortably on palm fronds, knowing that after dinner they can make use of the dung trough, feeling the fire warm their skin, they suddenly feel hope. Not think it, not wish for it, they feel it. What would it take for us to cause the world to feel hope? As they sit around that fire, sadness invades their minds but there is a hope they feel that if if the ten of them can pull together 
to survive the first night in a dangerous environment, then maybe the world itself could find their location and snatch them back home. Where do we commence to become human beings instead of egotistical missiles pointing at one another, threatening life and limb? It's just not so different from these ten survivors. It's just, it hasn't been thrust on us, so we don't do anything about it. Look around. Find someone who's providing water to the world. Food. People who are trying to come up with shelter. Matter of fact, there's a company out there right now manufacturing cardboard houses. My God, what a great investment. Can we envision a world where sanitation is not just for the rich with golden toilets, but rather a necessity for each and every child of God and the fire of energy? bringing warmth and light. Do not preach at me any sermons, nor talk to me about political parties, or try to inform me of the power of education until you put your mind in a survival mode for this planet and help those who look like you to have clean water, food, shelter, sanitation, and fire. For the good news is our ten survivors were rescued two and a half months later. The better news is they woke up each morning with water to drink, food to eat, a place to sleep, a location for their waste, and fire for energy. So, they always felt a little bit at home. That's it for today. Stay tuned next week when we will gather once again and find ways to put the pin back in the grenade. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media and at goodnewsandbetternews.com.